call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 89 of Call It Friend of the podcast, where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, my co-host Donna Tiernan watched The Midnight Club, the new Netflix series from horror director Mike Flanagan. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the series right from the start. Check out justwatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call It Friend of Podcast. Drop us a line there if any feedback or recommendations. Peace. Than a motherfucker. What's happening? Hey, I'm in the Midnight Club. Are you? Um, uh, you, you yes, I am. To those that I'm terminally ill. You're terminally ill. Ill as fuck. Oh, you're ill as fuck. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, I terminally ill as fuck. I got that. Nice. I'm in the Midnight Club also. Well, I'm in the 8:38 p.m. club because that's the time, folks. Yes, that's that we're right. Regarding this, 8:38. Well, 7:38 where I'm at because we're still on uh, Nazi time in Spain. Lest anybody forget. What? Are you in a different time zone to me? You don't know about Nazi time? Since what? No, but I thought Spain... I thought we were in the same time zone. Oh, no, we are zone. in the same time zone. It's just... Yeah, this, you're mental. No, it's no, I'm not on. mental. It's your laptop didn't <laughs> ever update at the time, so I looked at the time. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, God. Do you know what? I like, I've, I've, all, I've all the gear ready to record on Apple, and then I found their fucking... There's, I, can't, I can't find a noise cleaning software for free on MacBook. Which is annoying me no end because I bought it. I wish I could help you. If anyone's listening to this and you know noise cleaning software for free for Apple, please contact Donna. I might be able to just coerce them into getting it for me in work. Let's see. Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, indeed. You you like coercion, right? Sure, I'm a big fan. Yes, indeed. Um, okay, so besides um, this epic Mike Flanagan undertaking, have you watched anything else? Yeah, I watched two things. How many things do you have? Because we haven't discussed these at all. Tell me what you. Tell I've me got what you three got. that I would like to talk about. Well, that's all you're allowed to. So perfect. That's good. That'll do. So yeah, I've got two. I don't know. Maybe one of these might be the same because we don't know. We have this is a good reveal. Mm-hmm, it is. Yeah. What do you got? So I'll because no, you know one of mine, but or if you remember, but I here's do. the other one. The reveal is uh, I watched Gillian Keeves the special. Oh right, yeah, yeah. That actually is. It wasn't on one of mine, but I yeah, I'll dump it right here now. Let's have a chat about it. What did you think? I thought it was, uh, so for anyone who's not familiar with this, we've yes. talked about Shane Gillis before, I think. Big fans. Is it your favorite comedian? Probably my favorite comedian, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right now, working. Mm. So him and uh, his friend Matt McKeever, or is that his name? Yeah. McKeever? Surname's me, John, John, John McKeever. McKeever. John McKeever. John McKeever. John McKeever. Matt, it's Matt McCusker. They recorded a special, which is basically, they rented out a theater in uh, Philadelphia, where they're from, sort of. And, uh, yeah, they showed all their sketches that they'd recorded. So this is a completely self-funded thing of just kind of a series of recorded sketches because they'd already put out yeah, a Yeah, sort of, of a follow-up to their very successful series of sketches from last year or the year before. I can't remember. Time is, you know, just fleeting. Um, of which, like, yeah, so it was last year, maybe, of which, like, the most... Most well-known, the, let's say. Yeah, the most well-known is the, the Trump speed dating one. Wasn't my favorite of the bunch, um, to be honest. Oh, you're wrong. Yeah, no, I think it's excellent. I do think it's amazing. But the one that sort of made me properly fall in love with Shane Gillis, uh, like in a gay way, uh, is... Um, right, no. So, to break it down, to get real comedy nerdy, what I love so much about Shane Gillis is he seems to be... 
the exact opposite in energy to everything awful that's happened with comedy in the last few years. In that, in and not just because he's been a bully, in not just because he's been the object of their ire. In he's a bully when he when 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 it's funny. That's the thing. He only True. cares about what is funny. Everything like there's no other thought than that going on with him. And I that like the one that kind of brought that it made me think about that of his last batch of sketches was uh, the blind man at the wedding which is just this insane sketch where this blind man stands up to protest at a point in a wedding and then it it turns out that she doesn't know the the bride doesn't know who it is and he's gone to the wrong wedding and then he just proceeds to go into a fit of rage and destroy the entire wedding and there's loads of nice little cu- first of all crazy rage is always funny but then there's this part of it just a very nice cut in where he picks up a piece of cake and eats it and then the so a guest at the wedding just goes I don't think that guy's blind and then it just goes back to the chaos and it's just a fucking it's a nuts idea there's no point to it which I think could be said for some of these sketches also yeah, well, uh, I, the only thing I, the if I was going to give any criticism of this special, I would say it's like it's a pretty ragtag affair. But I guess yes. that's part of their charm is like they're absolutely fucking smashed sitting on a couch, yes. talking about each of the sketches that they're showing to this live audience. Releasing it as a live special is is kind of insane. Yes, it is. It's but a nuts thing. They to are be doing. very charming. They're very charming. So anyone who's like a fan of theirs, it doesn't particularly matter. These sketches, I would say, were solid. I think I said in a previous episode, I'm not really a big fan of sketch mm. comedy. So uh, I did go to Blockbuster for this, which is obviously bad form because you should support the things that you want by I paying went to the price. I went to Tesco and bought it. Fair play. Yeah. And that's fine. That's good. That's good you did that. Uh, I thought the sketches were good, but I don't know. Like um, there was the one that, I don't know, people seem to respond to quite well was one that was like, very improved. Are you talking about the the weird? It was like the Kardashians with male influencers. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, and it's got that tickled the me guy so much. From Super Dark Times in it. Yes, Charlie Tehan. And he's, he's also from, from Ozark. uh, Ozarks. Yeah, yeah, as they reference. So I don't know. <laughs> despite the fact I'm not a huge fan of improv comedy, and uh, enemy of the show John Spillane has been completely against me on this particular sketch, but something about the delivery of those lines, and I do think it's a perfect send up of a certain type of TV show. But like I don't know, like the Gillis character, there's one part of it where he goes, uh, "What are you, some kind of dumbass?" And it's I don't know, it's just a certain type of delivery made me laugh a lot. Um, I don't know, it's just as mental to have a sketch where. There's no real point to it, and None. they're constantly breaking all the time. Yeah, I just thought that's insane to to like put out. I mean, I can understand if it's outtakes at the end, which they also had outtakes at the end. But I just think it's mad to show that. Yeah. Do you think they made their money back? Yeah, definitely. Surely, yeah. no. They, well, I mean, they got big enough, a big enough fan base. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, I I was looking forward to that um, for ages. For me, it didn't disappoint. I was cackling when I was watching it. Quite honestly, yeah. At this point, I was about to say, I don't think I could judge a Shane Gillis product fairly, but there's a time I would have said that about a Mike Flanagan thing, and I was very objective about the Midnight Club, as we'll get to. All right, so I'll sling one at you. Go. All right, so I watched something that we watched for this podcast the week my daughter was born. I rewatched. It was one of- I have no idea. One one of two cross-dressing movies. Why? Is it Dressed to Kill? 
It's dressed to, to kill. Dressed yeah, to kill. Yeah, yeah. There's no way you watch fucking Juanaman. I did Juanaman not watch Juanaman. Once is enough for Juanaman, but I'm glad I've seen it. So yeah, I rewatched Dressed to Kill because I uh, listened to um, the podcast that stole our formats. It, oh yeah, I saw that was on the Quentin Tarantino. One. Yeah, and they were really harping on so much about it, and I was like, fuck. I remember I did enjoy it a lot, um, not as much as y- y- them lads. So uh, yeah, I gave it a watch, and um, I did actually really enjoy it. I had a lot of fun with it. It's a mad movie. Like more than the first time? Yes, I would say so. Just because I knew what I was getting into, and it's ju- like it is a, cr- a completely cracked movie. Um, there are layers to it. We probably didn't uh, see that when we watched it. I said, but at the same time, it's just oh, I saw there was all kinds of layers. There was like a top layer. There was underwear. <laughs> Brian, De- I, I mean, I think the central thesis must be Brian De Palma is a bit of a, a pervert, he, or he is the pervert Hitchcock wished he could have been. But the fact remains, there is an amazing murder scene in an elevator, and there's n- oh yeah, most of the time there's no way that the transvestite is Michael Caine. Just putting it out, there's no way uh, that Michael Caine dressed. Spoilers. Yeah, yeah, it's just um, it's just some other lady. But I enjoyed it quite a lot. There you go. Hit me. Well, I <laughs> I watched something which I promised myself I would never, ever do, and that is another Kevin Smith film. Uh, I watched Clerks 3. I know you did. All right, I'm dying to hear about this because I'm never watching this. Yeah. Well, so I, I previously I, I, I watched Jane Silent Bob reboot whenever that was, mm-hmm. and I seem to remember commenting on that, that it was probably the worst thing Kevin Smith has ever done. Um, oh, is, is, is Clerks 3 worse? No, it can't be worse. There's no way it's worse than that. It's definitely in the same they're they're in the same ballpark. They're playing in the they're swimming in the same pool of affluence. Mm. But it can't be as bad as Jane Silent Bob reboot. It's just I think and this film like all of Kevin Smith's films are insanely meta. So it's like a commentary on his previous films, constantly referencing his previous films, obviously referencing things like Star Wars as you have to. That's yes. the law. But it made me sad to think back on, like, I watched Mallrats in, like, 1995, 96 or whatever. Mm. I rented it from an actual blockbuster, a real VHS tape. I remember the first time I watched the original Clerks. I me think too. it was, like, my first first year of university. Um, I remember, like, getting drunk with my mate Gareth and watching it. and Thinking it was the greatest it, thing ever. Greatest thing ever, yeah. and I still think it is. It's really I good. The first, the, the, the first, first clerk is, is really good. amazing. We should talk about I, his whole career in a minute, but go on. I think, yeah. So basically, Clerks Three is like it just is emblematic of this sadness of watching a middle-aged man try to relive his youth. I think a lot of Kevin oh. Smith's films. That's what Kevin Smith's films have become. Yeah, is that he? It's like he never moved out of this period he never aged out of it well he tried on a couple of movies on, yeah and it, it went badly i mean i remember jersey girl the one with ben affleck and jennifer lopez i quite like red on. state red state is fine yeah. and that was the one that was certainly one where he thought he was maybe going to achieve something different and for whatever reason it didn't really work and that was by far i would say that was his best made movie it certainly looks yeah. the best it feels like it's an got some film, great dialogue like and it's good tension camera. yeah 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 and um yeah but then i mean i think that was around the time he started his podcast yes podcast swallowed him tusk came from him being high in a room talking to scott Mosier, and he was like what if a guy 
got turned into a walrus by like a weird old kind of freaky dude. Do you know, it makes sense that that's where the premise of that film came out of. I've never seen that yeah, film just, just because I, it's, it sounds so it. dreadful. I have seen it. Is it as dreadful as it good. sounds? It's exactly what was, I mean, it's exactly the premise. That's it. That is it. A guy. Podcaster gets played kidnapped by, played and by turned Justin into a Long. walrus. Yeah. I don't know if he's a podcaster, but it came from Kevin Smith's podcast was where he, that's the, where the idea came from. But just Justin Long. Yeah. goes. And I think it's, what's his name? Michael Park or Michael Parks. Michael Parker, just, I think. Takes Justin Long and kidnaps him, and then take, turns him into a walrus. Literally, and that's it. That's the film. So, Clerks Three. <laughs> Cler- okay, just to give you a brief background on Clerks Three. Yeah. So, like Dante still works in Quickstop. I've seen the trailer. Randall lives next door. Jane, Silent Bob own what used to be the video store, but now they sell weed there, like weed products, and it's legal. But they're still out in the street slinging it to people because they don't, you know, they're like, oh, this can't be this. We did it in the 90s, son, which it, I think is a literal quote from the film. Is there any charm to this film at all? No. Uh, uh, I watched Clerks 2 and I did, I really checked out at that point, mainly because yes. Dante and Randall, see, the idea of Kevin Smith phoning them up to do Clerks 2 made me sad because they had never done anything since. Yeah. They're just regular guys. They are. Re- they're very and regular they, people. Well, yeah, they look like regular people. They don't look like movie stars. And Randall looks like Frank Skinner now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen the trailer. It's it's yeah. yeah is is a world away. And Dante. I mean, the mystery still remains. He was never. He wasn't attractive in Clerks, but he's. Just- Go, I tell you what, go back and look at Clark's because I did. I went back and just looked at some still shots because I was like, surely he didn't look like this. He looked all right for his early 20s. When you go back and look at him, he he looks pretty good. He looked in 1990s, early 20s. Thing. Not as not as, uh, no. not as hot as the 20 year olds we have today. I'll go on the record. No, no, that. no. But he was he looked all right. But, but I remember the first time I watched Clark's, I remember thinking like, wow, this guy. Do you, like, this guy looks like a normal guy. I think, like in Clerks too, someone as someone as hot as Rosario Dawson. That's as close as he ever got to anybody like that. Well, he, here are the spoilers. Spoilers for this film. Oh yeah, she died. Oh, what? The, basically, straight after Clerks two, she died. She's in the film as a ghost. That's nuts. What the whole thing? Okay, so okay, go on. Here's just what, let me give you I, the I, plot. Let's just give you the plot. Tell okay, me it all. So what happens is Randall has a heart attack based on Kevin Smith's heart attack. Right, exactly. So it's Kevin Smith is acting that out. As a result of this heart attack, Randall decides he wants to make a film about his life in the Quick Stop. The film that he makes is Clerks. It goes through all the beats of Clerks and Clerks Two, and it talks about. It's just basically like a making of Clerks. It's like a film about the making of the original Clerks. See, that could about, be like, interesting. It. If it could be, but it's he's not. like we're filming it in black and white because there's too many. The colors really pop in the shop, mm. so if we film it in black and white, it'll look better. Which is a true point. Like I remember what seeing in like Clerks Two and going in color, this doesn't look right. Mm. It does look so much better in black and white. So eventually, they go through the, they go through the process of making the film. Randall falls out with Dante. And then Dante has a heart attack, and then Dante dies. Dante dies at the end end of Clerks 3. (laughs) Jesus. That is. For no reason. That is miscalculated, Mr. Smith. For for no reason. Just to have. Well, that's the original ending of Clerks 1. Kind of hard. Yeah, exactly. He's supposed to get shot Mm. at the end of Clerks 1, but. And then. So then the last. Go on. uh, Yeah, this is the best part. 
the last, like over the credits, Kevin Smith is talking about, he has this whole thing where I seem to remember, where I, I feel like I've tuned out what he said, but he was talking about like quick stop and people who work in convenience stores and going like, so, you know, I just want to say like a big thank you to anyone who's ever worked in a convenience store. And he's just talking over the top of the credits because he takes this film out as like a roadshow. Hmm. Did you ever watch so, any of those Kevin Smith presents? Yeah, I remember some of his live shows were good. Like yeah, the ones funny. where he talked about like um, John Peters hit the yeah, the great, yeah the John great, Peters, the great John the giant Peter spider, story. the Superman yeah. story is quite famous. Yeah, but yeah, I I mean yeah, and apparently I I think he's working on Mole Rats too. So oh stop, Kevin just, Smith! I know. It's just get out of this world because it gets sadder all the time. Like. The, the actual, like you said, these are just real people. So the other characters who were quite major characters in the first Clerks, I mean, one of them is dead, uh, Lisa Spoonauer. She played um, Caitlin Bree, the lady who has sex with the old guy in the bathroom. Okay. Um, she She's not in it, obviously. But like the others are literally just people from New Jersey. So when you see them now and they're pushing 50, oof. Yeah. Ouchie. It's rough. It's rough. Ugh. No one looks good. <laughs> if only Key, uh, Kevin Smith had gone the way of Troy Duffy. There's that, the... Uh, the Boondock Saints, Saints guy. guy. Yeah, Boondock yeah. Saints guy. Um, there's a very good documentary about him actually called Overnight, just about what a dickhead he is and how... I remember, yeah. Hollywood, I haven't seen it, but I heard about it. Hollywood was just handed to him on a platter and he just said, fuck you, I'm better than all of you guys. And then, I mean, I don't know. Boondock Saints is fun if you're like 13 years old, <laughs> but I haven't watched it since. But um, mm. to, what he did was he bought the bar where he, with his, what they gave him for the movie, he bought the bar where he was working when he wrote the movie. So he's probably still, I don't know, he's probably still there in Boston just being a dick. Sitting at the bar. Yeah, yeah. even though they did a Boondock Saints too, didn't they? Yeah, it had uh, Billy Connolly. Well, sure, Billy it, Connolly's in the first one. Couldn't do the second without him. Oh, is he? He is, yeah, yeah. So is Willem Dafoe yeah. as an uncharacteristically uh, gay FBI agent. Yeah, he's gay. And then, um, like, at one point he realizes a clue about the case. It's so fresh in my head. I must have seen it a few times. Uh, a, a clue about the case pops into his head and he just gets up and um, you you see for the first time that he's gay. I got a raging clue. Uh, because uh, his, like, Japanese lover is there in the bed beside him. And then he goes, hey, I want to cuddle. And he says, and maybe you can, he says, don't be such a... Irish word for cigarette, you know? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a, it is an interesting choice, Troy Duffy. Uh, what's your favorite Kevin Smith movie? I was always a big fan of Chasing Amy. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. I think that's probably aged badly, so, but it's from the perspective of someone who's like 24 or whatever, so I think that's fine. Do you know what's odd about uh, Chasing Amy? Is it could... It, like, it showed his first real maneuvers into doing the joint universe because it could function completely well maybe yeah, better doesn't have without the have silent Jane bob silent speech bob as a matter yeah. of fact the silent bob speech i even i remember seeing it like when i first saw it is contrived you're chasing amy yeah yeah like what the fuck are you talking about dickhead <laughs> actually the be- the by far the best part of that scene is the way uh, jason muse keeps calling him tons of fun and stuff like that that's fun my favorite <clears> is <throat> probably um jane silent bob strike back i think that was the end yeah, probably. Like, if you look at it, it's, yeah. like, seriously, I think as a run of four films, five films, five films, yeah. Because mm. it was Clerks, Mole Rats, Chasing Amy, 
dogma, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. I think that's really the end because any everything because that was already obviously that's like really meta commentary on everything but it still functioned it's still it pretty still funny. works very well he had a, has enough yeah. celebrity friends to make it work very nicely yeah the, but then i think after that is where it just goes to shit like really it ha- it has a kind of a gag rate that film as well as great performances like uh that just i don't know it's like i laughed at i saw that many many times and laughed every single mm. time i i don't know how i would do with it today but i have very fond memories of it like particular scenes i used to love um when it would cut to Gus Van Sant counting his money, he's like, "Leave me alone!" <laughs> and actually, that one, the the sequel, I don't like the sound of them apples. Like the, what are we going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Will Ferrell, just in general, being hilarious. Uh, yeah, I was a fan of uh, that a lot back in the day. I watched it. A well, lot. see, this is the thing. Like, I, I remember I I was in New York when that came out, and I saw it in the cinema there. And I went to. I've mentioned this the last time we talked about Kevin Smith. I went to Jane's Silent Bob Secret Stash, the comic book store they owned in New mm. Jersey. The concept of that now is so embarrassing. And this is 21 years ago, but still. <laughs> the, the idea that I ever did anything, like that's how bad he's tarnished his reputation. That it's the idea of that uh, makes me cringe. Nah, so come hard. on. The Rolling Stones are still releasing records. No, Kevin Smith is not the Rolling Stones. Just shoot me in the face that I said that, will yes, you? Yes, <laughs> you should be shot in the face for that. Uh, yeah, he should have had the good sense to just die like Marky e. Smith did, you know? If he died in 2001... I can't believe I just said that. That was a very cruel thing to just say. Jesus. I'm sorry, Kevin Smith. He does listen to this. Yeah. So you're not going to be in Clerks 4. Well, I mean, what the rest of the world probably is. So is Ben Affleck in Clerks 3? Mallrats 7. Uh, Yeah, he is. Fucking gorgeous. Uh, Ben Affleck plays a character called uh, Boston John. Do you know, I've got a great idea for Clerks 4, right? I've got a great idea for Clerks 4. So it's an on-set film. It's a documentary. Kevin Smith is making Clerks 4. All his celebrity friends arrive to do their cameos or something. And then all of a sudden, they, they, they... put down chairs around him, sit down and stage an intervention, <laughs> it's an intervention and tell him he's got to stop making Clerks movies or stop making movies. Just stick to podcasting, buddy. You're good. Yeah. Even though I never listened. Kind of, I hated his podcast whenever I listened to them. He's Someone actually, someone did, just so I saw someone online making a point about this. There's films to him, like they were talking about his films and saying like, they're not really, he goes and this person was saying, I watch Kevin Smith's films, but now I don't consider them like films. I think of them as like an episode of his podcast. Like I give them that weight. They're not like yeah, a Yeah, that's probably film. fair. I think. It's just, he's like imagining, cause he's, it's all the roadshow things where, you know, he takes the film around and tours it. He doesn't put it in cinemas. So like you're kind of, he's just, he's like, you're going to see the guy that you like do, you know, show you his private movie. Sidetrack before the other thing that I want to talk about then. I, I must've told you about this. Did I ever tell you about when, um, oh, what's the name of that singer? Uh, from the Moldy Peaches. Uh, oh yeah, you did. You did talk about this. Yeah. yeah when you've talked about this on a previous episode. What's his name? Adam Green. Yeah. When myself and Belen got tickets to Adam Green <laughs> and then he made us watch his film he before. Showed you his film. <laughs> it was, and it was like an hour and a half was the, or something it was, or two hours. Andy, it's one of the worst things I ever saw in my life. <laughs> it's so bad. Like, and he made us watch it beforehand and you couldn't go. What are the chances uh, that the singer from the Moldy Peaches would be a knobhead? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to have it out live now because uh, I've been wanting to talk to you about this in, in, in with with microphones oh in front God. of both of us. So I went to see Avatar. 
Did you? Th- yeah, I know we've just spoken about it off air, but I want to speak about no. it on air. <laughs> it's fine. I don't. I, I don't have. I, I want to stay. I think I was uh, a little too dismissive in the previous episodes where we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Because in retrospect, I think. It's fine. I just don't have any issue with Avatar, and I'm sure it's an amazing experience. And also, it's fine that a film has to be shown in 3D to really function. Yes, it is fine. fine. Thank you. Thank you. That's okay. I accept that. I do accept that point. So, Um, but tell me about all the great parts. Well, yeah, it just um, seriously, it begins from like moment one, just when you see him floating out of the space. His, I don't know, you know space bed, whatever those things are called, out in hypersleep, you know, some sort of yeah, thing yeah. like that. When you see him like floating cryo out of chamber, that, cryo chamber. Cryo chamber. chamber, there you go, that'll yeah. do it. Um, and he just floats out from it and you immediately get the depth of frame. And because I've seen yeah. this a few times, my first thought was, I mean, all credit to James Cameron, but why the hell did nobody attempt to do something like this afterwards? Because it's like... Probably because it's so much work. I mean, look at how long it's taken him to make his sequels. This is this is true, yeah. And I suppose everybody, you need to be passionately invested. Like I like I do genuinely believe he is in this story in this world. Um, parts of it that like really really stand out is when like first of all when first of all you do get into it emotionally without a doubt because the fact that he is he's an invalid and he gets to I don't know. I got emotionally into that, into Sam, Sam Worthington's performance. G, the, the, the most obvious n- bit of writing that it's almost... I, I suppose it's supposed to be obvious, but Giovanni Riabisi's character yeah. is just Mr. Corporate dickhead. That's the one that stands out that I can remember where I'm like, eee. But that's also but I like, like it, But you know I like a, a movie dickhead. problem of him, though. Yeah. Like his acting style, it's like he's playing the character of Giovanni Ribisi. Plus, plus, I like a movie dickhead. But plus, plus corporate. Um, yeah. And Belen as well knows I like a movie dickhead. There's a wonderful movie dickhead in it who's like a Natiri, Natiri is Zoe Saldana's a, a oh, Navi character. He's like boyfriend. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's such a good movie dickhead. He's just like, I'm going to laugh at the guy. But then the guy is better than him at everything. Yeah, that must be horrible though. Where this totally human comes in and takes uh, takes over the the body, and it's I like yeah, swoops in and takes his lady. I did, um, but I but I suppose then there you go. So the yeah, the story is like I mean, it's it's just archetypes. So it's it is all in the visual telling, and the visual telling man, it, it still works. Like this is not my wife's cup of tea at all, and it fucking blew her away. It's just it's on another level. Um, in terms of what they like achieve visually in the experience, and it, the one big afterthought that I had from it, because the thing is, right, forget about any other aspect of it other than the fact that they there's never a question of how photoreal everything is, it, from the creature designs to everything, it just all seems so real and right in front of you. And what I thought, it's a pity that nobody has kind of copycatted what, whatever sort of technology he's using and whatever way he used to cre- uh, create worlds in a 3D sense, because if he did, it would get cheaper. And I was, I was immediately brought to thinking, man, like imagine the things they could do for like war films or, or like a proper, a historical epic, for example, if they get, like if they really, I don't know, Followed the 3D vision like Cameron did for Avatar. Like, what about Clerks 4? Or, or Clerks 4, indeed. You could be there in the quick stop. Oh, man. But like, no, I don't know. It's just it's just a pity that nobody has tried 
this with any other genre or style. Of, like, I would love to watch a Western done like this, quite honestly. I mean, the, maybe it's so expensive to do that you need... Who's even capable of doing it apart from James Cameron? This is it. Like, it's just... <laughs> the ma- Like, I immediately am saying, yeah, nobody bet against Avatar 2. It's going to take over the world like fucking everything else will be my, is my prediction. I'll definitely watch it multiple times i'm i'm sure already i mean i'm sure i'll get to watch avatar in 3d again before then because i reckon i know they've just had it in cinemas now yeah they'll do a re-release before back again yeah yeah they'll do a re-release next month i'd say because it's out in december um or watch it as like a double bill or something yeah that'd be great um it might be too much for the senses though like honestly, yeah, six hours of that. Well, it like the three hours of Avatar alone. When you get out, it is it's like you're high on the movie. It's such an intense thing to watch. Because I remember that the first time I watched Sunshine. Yes, in the cinema, I get what you're saying. I with came that, out actually. and I was like, "Where am I?" Yeah, yeah. Sunshine's a great film. Yeah, big fan now. Um, have you got anything else to talk about? I got one more thing. No, it's your final thing. Let's hear that. Okay, so. In accordance to the book uh, that you sent me, that audio book, I dove back into the wire when I was in the gym. Um, so I've been going to the gym, going on the elliptical and watching episodes of The Wire season three. And I don't know, in my memory, that was one of the weaker seasons, but it's actually really good. Why did you go to three? Had you just recently yeah, watched yeah, the one la- or two? The or? last one I watched was two. No, it's actually really good. And in particular, because you get, I don't know, hearing... David Simon rattle on so much in that book. By the way, the voice actors in that book are just like, oh God, please, no, stop. Just re- I like them. You get used to them, I'll say that. But um, no, just hearing so much about what Simon's way of thinking was and approaching it, it actually makes sense from a writing point of view that he would have his characters experiment with something like Amsterdam. Whereas when I had watched it previously, having not listened to extensive interviews with Simon, I would have just thought, that's a ridiculous thing. That's not realistic at all. Tim, one of the, uh, don't they talk about one of the mayors, like one of the real mayors of the city of Baltimore tried to do something yeah. similar? No, no, they do. They're, like, it's, it is based on yeah. something, but... It's based on like a real thing. Bunny Colvin's... Uh, another thing, though, I didn't realize, you know, the yeah, sure, the guy who um, gets Cuddy hooked up with the boxing gym, that's the real... Uh, Avon Barksdale. You mean the, yeah, the, the Me- guy, the Melvin church Wallace guy. or something. Yeah, Melvin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's- yeah, I remember that. No, I remember that from back of the time. And also the big guy who's basically, the big guy who looks after Omar is like the real Omar. He's the guy who yeah, jumped that's out right, of yeah, the yeah. six story, the six floor window or whatever. And and they're both dead. Well, and also so's uh, so's uh, M- Michael, Michael K. Williams. Michael K. Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, overall, not a surprise to the say curse, <laughs> the curse of the wire. The continue. curse of the wire. <laughs> not surprising at all to say, but it turns out that the wire is good. I'm gonna say that. Yeah, <laughs> the wire is really good. <laughs> yeah. Avatar has good 3D, and the wire is good. Oh, I got one. No, this is one good spillover. Okay. I'll get to you. That plays in exactly with a bit of trivia. Uh, from the book, which is that Dominic West and Idris Elba found it hard acting with one another because their English accents would both come out. And in the one scene they have together in season three, where he goes into the (laughs) copy shop, I swear to God, their English accents come out. Watch it. Hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Idris Elba sounds like he's from London for uh, like the entire dialogue. I I mean, I, I can hear both of them. I can hear their accents slipping. From time to time, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think they both did a great job. They both did a fantastic overall. job. Yeah, yeah. I think because Ga- there's still plenty of people in the US who didn't realize they were English. Aiden Gillen did uh, the 
the best job of accents he's done in his entire career, which isn't saying much. He's not great with the accents. I think he's good in the. I, I think the wire might be the best thing he ever did. Yes, I think so too. I um, I it, it's a really interesting character as well. Um, yeah, b- like the way like you get tricked by him as well. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So the wire is good. This just in. Um, Do you know what's uh, on the same level as the wire? Tell me. Mike Flanagan's The Midnight Club. Mike Flanagan's The Midnight Club. Now, you've already... Very much the wire of... uh, You've already slightly given away your feelings to me on this one. So, um, let's see. (laughs) Let's see. I'm going to ask a a question not exactly about the show. Did you read teenage horror fiction? No. Never. I I mean, this show is semi-based on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Or at least Flanagan wanted to give a similar tone. I definitely watched shows like that. Okay, so this is based on also the works of uh, your man Christopher Pike. Christopher Pike. Pike, is it, or Hike? Pike. Okay. So... I, it turns out, I read a, a couple of his books, I think, back in the day. Mm-hmm. I used to read uh, teen horror fiction when I was, like, before I was a teenager, basically, as a child. Um, so the likes of Point Horror and stuff. Um, and I actually looked up, uh, like, I, I googled the, it's a uh, an imprint of a publishing house. I googled it there today, Point Horror. And it says, yeah, mostly popular with teenage girls. I was like, ah, thanks a lot. But... How else are you going to get yourself in with the teenage girls? You need to know. You need to know the, what they're into. What yeah, they like. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so clearly Flanagan, big fan of Stephen King, big fan of horror fiction. This is his grand tribute to teenage horror fiction. And it works very well. And I can, watching it made me appreciate how good those types of stories were. As a matter of fact, I would say the stories are easily the best part of this. We should will we give a premise? Yeah, but I just wanted to say you you see it as a tribute to that. I see it as Flanagan churning out uh, one Netflix series per year. This one really to me felt most like, and I guess I don't. When I saw the premise of this, I did kind of feel like this is going to be less hands on for him. I mean, he he did do the first two episodes. He took on the directing duties on those two but like i just feel like this one was more of a and it moved me to a bigger house type thing i just feel like this is more part of his netflix contract than what he really ultimately wants to be doing i would agree and i think the biggest issue for me on this series pro i'd say is the biggest issue is if i had known what flanagan revealed like about two days after it came out that they'd optioned 28 of Pike's novels and they planned to use the stories from those novels in future seasons of this. Yes. I would never have watched it and I would, well, maybe I would have watched it eventually, but I would never have had us sit down to watch it over the course of a week slash two weeks. Because... Because I thought it was a limited series. I thought it was a one and done. Yeah. And the fact that it's not is, is a problem. It is a problem. Uh, it among a number of problems, I would say. Um, yeah, but so premise-wise, you've got a group of eight young terminal patients who are spending their final days together in a hospice called Brightcliff, where they convene every night as the Midnight Club to tell each other spooky stories. Some of the stories are spookier than others. Other some are just sort of vaguely sci-fi-ish or Twilight Zone-y in a That's way. That's the nature of those t- of that though that type of story 
They those just have novels to bend and those, your mind. And, and those uh, short stories. They're, ju- they're like, it reminded me of, like, did you ever read Paul Jennings books when you were a kid, the Australian writer? No. Just wacky stories that everything sort of comes together at the end nicely and cleanly. Mm. Like, if only that happened here. But here's the thing is like, fair enough. I can see what you're talking about from the cash in point of view. But given what a fan of Stephen King uh, Flanagan is, it's not surprising to me that he would have affection for this kind of, this type of output in, in horror literature as well. I remember like reading a particular horror, teenage horror book when I was a kid. It's called The Forbidden Game. It's basically like if Jumanji was actually scary, it's like a a haunted board game. And it scared the fucking shit out of me. But it it was compelling. Or another one, I think it's actually one of the ones written by um, Pike uh, called The Slumber Party, which is like a scary book. But, like, the thing is, they're scary for teenagers. I I was saying it to my wife earlier today. is like, man, I wish I could get back to that place where I could be scared by books. Like, it's gone now. Yeah, now you're just scared by, like, mortgage payments and things. No, man, my mortgage is tight. I've got, I got, I'm in control of Solid. that sort of stuff. Respect. But, like, looking back at I'm the rest of scared Mike, of my Mike own Flanagan's capabilities work. to kill myself with booze is more like it, but anyway. Fair play. The rest of Flanagan's work, nothing looks particularly like it's aimed at young adults. No, it doesn't. So like, but this, this is. is the first thing. Yeah, this is the first thing, which is, but again, that feels like it's in the Netflix demographic of like, hey, Stranger Things, etc., etc. Yes. We're making something aimed direct. It's like, hey, Mike, you've done all this other stuff. Why don't you dip your toe into the young adult field and see how that works out? All right. And if you can do something that will last multiple seasons, then why not? Anyway, just to finish the rest of the rest of the premise, I'll yes, just say yes. uh, when new arrival Ilonka uncovers a secret basement room previously used by cultists and a mysterious former patient called Julia Jane, Ilonka believes the club can harness the mysterious power therein to cure themselves. Yes, indeed. And uh it turns out that the uh, evil hippie next door is, in fact, this lady, Julia Jane. This is, yeah. there, there's some, I'm going to finish off the Which plotting. Which is obvious. I mean, that's pretty obvious that that was that, that reveal now. Uh, yes, it was. But I think he wrong foots you nicely because I think he starts you off with you. Uh, you think that the, the other, well, you think that uh, Heather Lagenkamp yes. from um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Who plays the, the, the doctor. Who, uh, of these uh, patients at this hospice. Yeah, you think that she might be the... The, the wrong one. And then it turns out yeah. uh, Shasta is the wrong one. But then it actually turns out in... Because this is the thing. Yeah, there's a, a little reveal at the very end. It's... The, right. I'll give my... I'll, I'll, I'll be brief with my review. I really liked the stories in this. And I wanted to like it... I have a very high threshold for sincere teenage stories as you know well i like that kind of shit but this one broke me with fucking time of your life from green day i was like that was it for me when that like i was like right fight fuck this show please time of your life played on a cello, cello. yeah cello. i didn't even mind that none of the kids actually ever look sick um i was saying it's for it's not for me it's for a different audience but then at that point, I was like, ah, this isn't really the Mike Flanagan I recognize. Quite frankly, he lost me on that, particularly because I was like, I, I felt like his stuff is always based in storyline. In Storyland, It always is. It's never quite realistic. Everybody's too pretty and everything is too scripted like a novel. 
uh, for it to ever attempt to be based in real life. But this is squarely based in teen fiction land. And I felt like when I so when the Twilight books were exploding, I have a terrible habit of reading whatever the massive book is. I'm out of it now, but I did it for years. I just had to. So I read the first Twilight book and I remember thinking, this is fine and everything, but I'm just not a teenage girl and I don't get this. Uh, and that was it. And once time of your life was spinning around uh, on the beach when they were pouring away, thankfully, by the way, the most annoying character in the show is delighted she died. Who? The Irish one? Yes. Oh, come on. She, but she's by far the, she was, a. I would say she's the uh, best actress of everyone there. Like the best actor. Yes, she was, but I think she's very good. I, th- I don't like the character, but maybe you have a stronger feeling because she's Irish. But I think she's excellent. I think she's very. She's going to be in um, Fall of the House of Usher, the next Mike Flanagan. Oh, series. sweet! She's joined the Flanagan I'll be players. Interesting to see if she's not playing uh, an Irish character. I mean, she was cast off of TikTok. She is like she she. Wow. Her leg was amputated because she broke her foot at 15 she had complications and then at 23 she had her leg amputated below the knee wow how old is she that was that was why they cast her about 25 i think Hmm. 25 26 so yeah just a few years ago so she had a post on like uh, social media being like hey guys sorry i was away Uh, i've lost a leg maybe it might be the irish thing because now that we're talking about it and i think about it she might hers she might be the only interesting character in the bunch like I think when she dies, she dies in about episode seven. Seven, yeah. I think the show suffers. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. That. Definitely. The last three episodes was, are a drag. Yeah, they're not good. Um yeah, they're they're super hard work. But like let's to just yeah. run through the I mean the the other characters, I mean basically Yeah, how many of these can you name without looking? By name? Because you've just none. Not give me the the Spencer's okay, Spencer's Spencer's uh yeah the black gay guy being persecuted by his mother give me a fucking break sorry like but come on um it, it's also pretty harsh like in 1994 ish yeah he's 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 got AIDS yeah and he's in a hospice here I mean it's of the time but I mean Magic Johnson yeah no, <laughs> he got no, no, no HIV no. and like it's just tough times it's a bit. Tokeny, it's isn't it? Harsh. It's a bit tokeny. A little bit. Yeah. I would also this 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 is insane, but looking at like the the like racial makeup of the group. Yeah. Just is kind of mental that of eight characters, four of them are black. Yeah. And I only say this because it's talking about terminal dis terminal illness. Yeah. That it's kind of mental that it's almost suggesting like terminal illness is happening more in like uh, in, in yeah. a smaller ethnic group. But I'm willing to which like I'm willing to just give to over about stuff like that just because it's like I said, it's Flanagan. No, no, I I understand. It's Flanagan's storyline. It's like with Midnight Mass, like one of the people of a hundred on the island is like a black girl in a wheelchair, really. <laughs> um, but like you get past that because I think he tells great stories. But yeah, the, like first of all, I thought now that I actually because I thought I just kind of didn't like any of the characters. But actually, fair enough. I think I was wrong. I think Anya is actually the only interesting character. What happened and her story? The first story that's well, the second story, re, but the first one proper that's told in episode two about the personality splitting in two. I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was really. Oh wait, wait! I just, I, I just also remembered, two of the characters are gay. 
like yes, two that's of right. the so that's like a 25 yeah, 50 percent right 25 percent gay which i mean it, again is just making like this kind of statistical yeah view of terminal illness is sort of mental yeah 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 of why they all came together yeah so i mean it's possible like, that it's possible that being uh <laughs> that, 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 that not being straight and not being white gives you cancer that's what this film. That's what this series is suggesting. Oh my god, that's that you're, you're more st- more statistical chance of that happening. So yeah, we've got um, we've got we've got gay black lady. We've got a Asian lady and a Middle Eastern man. The only reason mm-hmm. they, they, they're Amash. such dull characters that they get them to hook up to try and make them interesting. Although hers, they are quite dull, dull archetypes indeed. Her and also the way they. The way they filter in depression into her story is very clunky. Even though it, for me, that's the best story that's told out of yeah, anyone. Yeah, I don't mind the story. I, I don't mind the, I, the story. We can, we can we can go through the stories and let's go in a in a little bit. Um, the thing is, though, in that last shot, they got me, and I will watch season two. I will. Oh dear God! They got me, I, but the thing is, I won't be forced to watch it within one week, so I will take it in. Like, I guess, I guess, uh, yeah. Yeah, so the characters we have Ilonka's the main character. Mm. She's the, the the star of the show that we're following. She's sort of figuring out uh, what's going on. You've got Kevin, who's played by Igby Igby Rigney, which is a great name. And yes, he's got leukemia, and he tells his weird serial killer stories. You've got Ruth Cod as the Irish uh, girl who plays Anya. Mm. You've got uh, Anara Simone Simone, I think, who plays Sandra. Who's the the Christian girl? She was in Midnight Mass. Very. And her stories are all about angels, which some people were suggesting was um, referencing Midnight Mass. Very, very dull character. Yeah, dull character. She's a good actress, though. I like her as an actress. You got Chris Sumter as Spencer, Adia as Cherie. She's the the one who's got Hollywood parents and is a pathological liar. You've got Aya Furukawa as Natsuki, who's the depressed Japanese girl and you've got Saruyan Sapkota as Amesh who is the guy who wants to play PlayStation the young Asian guy who wants to play PlayStation and then you've got Samantha Sloyan as Shasta I believe she's in she's in um, The Haunting of Hill House oh is she she's also in uh, Grey's Anatomy I think which is something I've never watched but I think she might be one of the main characters in that you've got Zach Guilford from uh, Midnight Mass playing Mark, who is like a nurse practitioner. Yes. And then Heather What are the chances Wagenkamp. also, by the way? Gay nurse. Well, he's gay, a gay <laughs> nurse. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a big, that's quite a big uh, grouping there. You've got Heather Lagenkamp as Dr. Georgina Stanton, which is interesting to see her all these years after the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Do you know what I just got, like, this has made me just think is like, how and I suppose it's not in keeping with the nature of the books and how those stories are because like I like I must reiterate again for the first few episodes I was really enjoying this because I was like this is actually a very good approximation of what that type of fiction is about um and I do, and I do have fond memories of reading that type of stuff I like I would I would pass on books like that to my daughter they're like they feel grown up but they're I don't know they're they're, they're very good stuff and I thought that they captured that well but I'm just thinking now. How interesting would it be to see this story given the Midnight Mass style Flanagan treatment and all the patients actually look sick and there is a sort of a darkness lurking around? Because occasionally this gets, this spooks you. It does spook you here and there, but not on, there's, 
like there's a moment in Midnight Mass, you know, where um, the guy who's been mm. the main character Zach, thus far, uh, Guilford on the boat, gets devoured, and it's an incredible moment. It's one of the like biggest gasps I've ever experienced on a TV show. Quite honestly, oh, you were talking the earlier moment. Okay, I was talking about him when he lights on fire with his lady the, friend. Amazing, yeah. also incredible that that moment. Um, and brilliant writing, like Midnight Mass. Anybody listening, if you haven't watched Midnight Mass, do yourself a favor. It was true. <laughs> Don't pay attention to anything yeah. that we just said, spoiler wise. But it was truly like a a masterpiece of the form. It's absolutely incredible. Um, it's much better than this, but. I think one of the biggest problems in this show is balancing the overarching mystery with these individual stories. Yes, I didn't. They, I didn't they, care about the overarching mystery at all. I can't emphasize uh, that see, enough. See, I was more. I was more interested in that because, like, that was the that was the mystery that I wanted resolved. That was the thing that I was. Kind I just of thought it wasn't developed interestingly. Fair enough, but like I just found the the stories uh, they 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 tried to break up the way they introduced the stories, which was good, because after the first few episodes, you'd reach like about thirty minutes into the episode, and they'd be like, "Okay, it's story yeah. time now." So, you, are you ready to sit down for story time, children? So they do try and mix that up and like move the story to the front of the episode, and they have two stories in an episode. Will we run but through I the think stories? Balancing that, sure. So uh, the first one is a fake out, actually, because it's really, oh, yeah. it's really um, what's her chops saying the reason that she's. It's like it's just it's just satirizing like it's satirizing modern horror, going yeah, hey, yeah. there's too many jump scares, and I think it set some kind of record for the highest number of jump scares ever in a in a, a short period of time. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I think so, but it, it it's. It's fine, but if you follow Mike Flanagan at all, you're like, yeah, okay. I mean, he's made his reputation as someone who tries to avoid jump scares. He'll still use them, yeah, but sparingly. He'll try to. Well, there's plenty. Sort of in, there's plenty in this, which shows maybe he was like much more off hands with it or hands off with it rather. Well, I mean, he's trying to make. He was basically making two shows at the same time. It seems because Fall of the House of Usher hmm. is due to come out in around March of next year, I believe. He must be taking a line for a walk with that, because have you ever read Fall of the House of Usher? I've read the synopsis. I think he's, I assume based off of that, he's going to be adding quite a lot. But then It's I a think short the same story of said, about six pages, like. But I think the same can be said for Haunting of Hill House, which I haven't read the original source material, mm. or else Haunting, Haunting, Haunting of Blind Manor is based on... Um, Turn of the Screw. Turn, turn the screws. So again, I think like he took a lot of liberties. I think he's just taking that source material and then jumping off of it. Yeah, but the fall of the house of Usher is is well, you've read the synopsis, so it's literally like about a house that sort of succumbs to to plague and basically falls apart. And then, but isn't it? It's all about his the character's sister. He thinks the sister's dead, and then like yeah, buries her, and then she wakes up. She's still alive. Comes into the room, and then. Sh- he dies of shock. They 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 both die. Okay, I'm remembering. It. I re- I was remembering it completely different then. But yeah, whatever. I read Edgar Allan Poe when I was growing up. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure it'll come flooding back to me eventually. 
but so I anyway, do remember the first it being episode very short. of this yes, was yes, yes, the, yes. The, the multi jump scares. The second one was the one you were explaining before, which I quite liked. I thought where that was very the good. Irish character has a has a uh, creates a makes a deal with the herself, devil like and a, yeah, splits herself. The devil in sells herself, splits herself in two. We have some quite funny scenes there because she's like a sort of stay at home, do your home, do your homework. Uh, doesn't ever do anything bad, and then the other girls out like taking pills and getting and dancing. Loud. So the the one the one who's just on her bed is sitting there, kind of, <laughs> she's shaking, kind of, and then uh, the same yeah, at the same time the one girl's uh, having sex for the first time, and the other the other twin is like on the sofa with her parents, losing her virginity, the, like psychically, and yeah, then eventually they track each other down and they kill one kills the other, but you don't know it's which. Very rough, yeah, yeah. slicing each sl- slicing each other up, etc. etc. Like I haven't read that though. particular story, that particular one, but that immediately, just the feel of that, it, it was very. That is, I don't know how to ex- explain it better, but that's exactly the feel of that type of story. It's like it felt a bit like Twilight Zone that one. But I mean, that's like that's, you, you want something. It's that type of thing. If you're like, uh, you what you asked for is not. It wasn't all it turned out to be. Obviously, there was some... I mean, it was selling your soul to the mm. devil. So it's pretty clear there was something bad was going to happen. But it's normally that, where things are going quite well, and then there's a twist, and they start going very badly. Next up, we've got, what, Kevin's serial killer story? That one felt a bit cheesy to me, and it's something that we revisit, like, at yeah. least a couple of times. It felt like a weird sort of dextery. I don't know. It felt like they were cashing in on some sort of... Dammer, Netflix, like, hey, everyone's into true crime. Everyone loves. I wasn't a big killer. fan of it, um, but it did have solid scares in the second part, where the mother tells him the names, and she's in the bed with him. Yeah, I didn't find the that made me jump. All all of his murder victims not being able to scream, just silently going. Ah. Well, that's a cliche. For some reason, that it didn't really work for me. I just it felt a bit off. I mean, some of this, some of these stories, the way that they are shot feels a bit slapdash i don't know if that's just in, in i would some agree points because it's supposed to be like someone is a teenager is telling a story yeah yeah i think i, th- so it's I supposed, think it's and they often cut out of the story yeah i think so too i don't think like i think they could have shot them a lot well, I better think the if general the the production value i think is deliberate as well the fact that nobody looks mm-hmm. sick uh the fact that she, like for example she just meets Shasta in the woods and then she can walk over to where Shasta is, but it's just clearly a different set. There's no sense of geography of the woods or anything like that. I think the reason why everyone doesn't look sick or the reason why, you know, they try to mm. avoid that is just because like dealing with the concept of teenagers with terminal illness is, it's not fun. I, d- I well, think yeah, it's yeah, totally. to, I think it's just to shield the audience from the reality of it of going like, oh yeah, you know, teenagers get cancer and die sometimes. Well, and maybe if you're a fan of like Fault in Their Stars or something, you might be on board with it. But for me, watching it, I was going like, immediately going like, ah oh, man, this it builds like a sort of sick feeling in my stomach of going like, this is horrendous oh, wow. were, that this happens. You were much more sensitive to that kind of thing than me. Uh, I am very sensitive. You, you're sensitive boy, aren't you? Uh, what's the what's the next story after that? Uh, Sandra's noir story. Uh, oh yeah, I liked that. I enjoyed that. It was quite well done. Mm. It was quite well. You got black and white, so you've got and it was about like herpes a real, in the a end. real genre one. 
Yeah, it was AIDS equals herpes, which yeah. is that's an accurate comparison. That's fairly true, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's the what's, what what next one I quite liked is uh, is Amesh's uh, gamer story. The that time was good. Yeah, that was Terminator a lot of fun. Thing. It's a solid little genre piece with a bit of time travel thrown in. Is the, the after that? <clears throat> go on. The next one after that is a continuation of Kevin's uh, serial killer story. Yes. Which I think that one also has a second story. I think that's also the one where um, Ilonka explains about the cultists. So they're kind of like tying the storytelling Uh, together with the overarching plot at the same time. And then Anya collapses. And then the next episode is is titled Anya, episode seven. That's the one where she dies. That, I, I really liked that as well. That um, at least the first part of that episode where she is imagining her yeah, future. Yeah, yeah, the first the first thirty minutes are solid. I thought that was the, maybe the Agreed. maybe the best part of the entire show. I thought it was that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And she's running into characters from all the different stories, and you kind of realize what's happening before she does. And yeah, yeah, I, I re- there's that cutaway. There's a cutaway with where I sort of just at the end of that story. She's lying in the bed and sort of drifting away. And then we cut to the like janitor guy making up the bed. Yeah. I thought that was a very, very, that's a very solid little punch. I agree. That janitor guy's a bit of a creep as well. He, he only, he's in uh, Midnight Mass he is, as yeah. well. He's like, yeah, he was the, the drunken guy from that. Maybe, the, the, the only, maybe like, my favorite really character in the show. <laughs> I, I used to love <laughs> the exploits of the poor drunken man. And him versus the Stephen King villain lady. I used to love that. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That's massive. The, the the only, like, sort of poor part towards the end of episode seven is where Stanton reveals on the phone that, like, yeah, I might have to send one of these girls home. And it's just such, like, a tell-don't-show moment. Yeah. Of just a, ca- a character overhearing something like that. It's just... But also, that, like, that's got to be the same episode where they do Time of Your Life with the Ashes, is it? I think it might be. Because that, yeah. that really was the over the edge for me. Is like I, I'm, I was like, all right, take me to the finish line now because I'm not enjoying this anymore at all. Well, episode, episode eight stories called Road to Nowhere. That was Best the story. suicide depression take of uh, the girl. With... Um, Henry Thomas. Henry, Trom- Henry Thomas is in it, of course, as as an evil hippie, yeah. a, just a very evil hippie. He's great. He's great. He looks more and more like Ray Liotta every day. He's got a good face. Yeah, I thought they were like I don't know. I I yeah. I I really enjoyed that um, as a as a storyline. I thought it was suitably scary. I didn't quite guess what was going on before the end, and yeah, I liked it a lot. Episode nine, there. I've written in my notes Terminator inspired story. Yeah, but that's the I worst one. It. I hated that so much. Well, I don't even remember so that. That's, what is Spence that? is in college and he says to, "Oh, I've yeah, taped Terminator. Yeah. Uh, come watch it. Slash, let's blow each other and kiss." That's, yeah. Um, but then they get up there, and actually, what it, what is on is the VCR tells you the future, and then they do right. a, do a Back to the Future on it, but then. A robot comes back from the future uh, to tell Spence to cut it out, or not Spence, whoever, whatever the guy's name is, and yeah. and it's all about AIDS. It's it's not a good story. I was very <laughs> bored watching that. Yeah, and that's the reveal again that, that in that episode that Shasta is Julia Jane, the uh, the lady who cured herself previously, allegedly. Yes, and then they go down into Which the basement like, to uh, to do their ritual. 
And then the basement starts off solid. I thought of when it like the first reveals in the basement when it's a mystery or yeah. good, but I think tying in cultists and that type of thing immediately starts to become a bit dodgy. Plus, but the I like overarching the story. They, the, the, I like the fact that the cult, the, it was all boo hockey with the cultists. I guess. Yeah. But I mean, there's still more to be said about that, I suppose, given the reveal at the end. But the other thing is the show had, there's like two ghosts. There's like an old man ghost and an old lady ghost. Nothing. We don't know about that. Well, we see them in a, fo- in a fo- we see them in a photo as uh, we were revealed that um, the doctor is a badden at the end. We pass by a photo and they're in the photo. Oh, you know, I, didn't, yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't pay attention so to They that. were like some rich people that bought the old house. Um, Bastards. And then it pans around and it turns out that actually the doctor is one of Roald Dahl's witches because oh. she takes off the wig. Do you remember they're bald right. in, in Roald Dahl's The Witches? Yes, I remember that. I remember that. So the last episode, is there a story in the last episode? Who cares? Um, yeah. Yeah, I no, like they, that, they conclude uh, They conclude Ilanka's story and they conclude Kevin's story. Oh, yeah, they conclude the serial killer one. It all comes to I know, yeah, and then yeah, th- yeah. that was the other moment of just demasiado schmaltz for me in it uh, when they all start showing up in the last story and it gets meta and they're like, here's how I would have ended it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. Off. The one part, I didn't mind her epitaph poem that she read. Yeah, that was sweet. I'd agree with I, you. I, I liked I find that quite moving. But then, yeah, at the end, Kevin breaks up with his girlfriend and getting dumped by a terminally ill guy. That's, that's got to stay. <laughs> yeah. I w- that's, that's one that's going to stay with you. Yeah. I, like, I, it, you know, I would have liked it if she was more realistically an actual girl and she just said, yeah, well, I've been fucking all your friends anyway while you're here. So there. Yeah. It's fucking asshole. Something like that. Um, yeah, I will probably watch season two of this, but not in such a kind con- I just want to know what's happening with the ball lady at the end. They got me with oh, that. I can't. They I got me. Less. The other criticism I'm going to make of this is a typical Netflix criticism, which is the subtitles are insanely bad. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. They're so, so bad. Like, I think people, whoever's doing, whoever's um, subtitling uh, Netflix shows is under intense pressure <laughs> to just get them out because they're firing them out and there's, they're, they're so, so, so wrong sometimes. Really? They're just taking a line yeah, for a walk? Yeah, yeah, Horrendous. Yeah, it's horrendous. Yeah. And I've heard that about Stranger Things as well. You don't watch Stranger Things though, do you? I've never seen a single episode. Uh, I watched the first um, season of it and... You see, this is the argument that I'll have, because everybody fucking loves it, of course. You must you must at least know that. Yeah, no, I know that. And I always... I remember going to a Stranger Things pop-up bar in Edinburgh years ago. I always uh, tell people, I checked out, like, near the end, like, because I didn't like it from the beginning. Just the idea of, well, we like anything that's like that, that's kind of like, we like this 80s stuff so much, so we'll do our own version of it. I'd be like, well, yeah. why don't you just watch The Goonies or E.T.? But they, because they're better for one, but then there's that part, there's a part near the end of the first season where they're trying to escape from the cops and the psychic girl, they're cycling away. The psychic girl lifts all the bikes off the ground at the same time and they fly away. That does sound very reminiscent. And I always say to people, it's like, well, that's not like a tribute. That's like stealing one of the most, one of the most famous moments in cinema history. Like, like, you know, (laughs) 
you might as well end an ep- the first season with, you know, a, a, like a, a detective and a bar owner walking away from a plane going, I think this is the start of a beautiful friendship. Like, it's it's that classic. So, yeah, I checked out of that early. But I will watch season two of Midnight Mass. I'm much more And looking- who knows how many... Midnight Club. Stop calling it Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass uh, is so much better, damn it. Yeah, but here's the thing. Like, I mean, you don't even know how many seasons of this is going to be. Like I said, they've optioned 28 of Pike's novels. They're going to use them. Mm. They're going to sprinkle those stories as short stories just throughout whatever future series of this. I wonder if they're going to do it in a way where they're just going to completely change the cast, which they could because they just yeah, all die. Yeah, because they all die. Yeah, yeah that, I like that idea. So it does, it, that's the one benefit <laughs> of that is you can <laughs> renew the cast every year. <laughs> <laughs> We're signing you on a one-year contract. That's such a good. That's like, can you imagine the the the, the genius producer in the boardroom who came up with that? Just <laughs> going, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. It can be an anthology show because I bet that's part of the reasoning. Yeah, yeah. They're like, we don't. No one needs to have their salary increased. Yeah, right. Year oh on year. Oh my god, like, genius. No, there's no there's no bonuses. There's no increase. When You're dead. When is the fall of the House of Usher out? Around, I think, I believe it's uh, March or April next year, okay. so it's pretty soon. So we got Flanners to look forward to in the in the meantime. Yeah, so I mean, I I did manage to watch this in one week, but it came at a cost to my mental and physical health. Yeah, I mean, I, it wasn't as bad it, as the Terminal List, idea. but um, it was. I preferred the Terminal List to this. Are you joking? Yeah, no, I'm not joking. I, I preferred it. Oh. Plus, it was only eight episodes. I think. I had a much harder time with the terminal list. I didn't like the terminal list, but I I liked it more than this. I didn't I didn't care for this at all. Fair. I cared for, for it. For me this is like much, the first but slightly more than Flanagan, you again. The first Flanagan misstep. Oh, and you're such a big that fan. I've seen. But yeah, but I can I can rationalize it as like, hey, the man's got to eat. He's got to, you know, look after his family. Stay off the booze. That's it. He shouldn't have any problems with money if he's not drinking. Yeah, <laughs> it should be fine. Do you think, like, when Hollywood directors fall off the wagon, they fall straight into cases of Dom Perignon in, instead of yeah. yeah, yeah, instead of pints and shots? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right then. What what's on for next week again? Oh well, yeah. There's Reds and the Razor's Edge. But the week after that, we're watching yep. whatever's up next. What are the options? You texted on one to me. I like the sound of it. Barbarian. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Barbarian. That was the plan. It's going to be released on streaming around the 24th, 25th or something. But now we're a week behind because this yeah, <laughs> this took us a while to get this. It took us two weeks to get this done. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, well, we'll have no problem. We can definitely do Barbarian for the next new release, which apparently is very good. Yeah, yeah. So I've heard. Um, also very good. Reds. I have not seen The Razor's Edge, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I will watch them. You're, are you looking forward to neither? Uh, Red's looks better than Razor's Edge. Razor's Edge, I know I selected it, but I selected it because you have to, yeah, someone's got to watch it. Someone's got <laughs> to watch a Bill attitude. Murray. There's an infant. <laughs> someone's got to watch Bill Murray be serious for once. But it's it's the typical Bill Murray thing. I just flicked through a little bit, but it's a typical Bill Murray thing where like he can't be serious. Yeah, it's still Bill Murray. So you're like, I mean, he's on set. He's sexually harassing people. Did he sexually harass people too? I think that's what he got in trouble for just the other day. Just someone called him out on it. 
Just the other day, somebody called out Bill Murray on sexually harassing. Yeah, uh, it was, he got fired from something. Can't remember why it was. He got fired from... Recently, like? Yeah, like in the last six months or so. He got fired. Oh, no, I think the film got cancelled even, which is even better. A testament to how serious the allegations are is if you can just type in his name and... Oh, faces new allegations. Yeah, they are. After Gina Davis... So apparently Gina Davis was first. Uh, others also report abusive behavior. What about the first thing I see on here is from five hours ago says Seth Green yeah. alleges Bill Murray dropped him in bed <laughs> by his ankles. I mean, that is hilarious. Is that, uh, is, is that supposed to be like, that's tra- is, traumatic? Is that, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, is he's trying to get him cancelled. That's that. very Come funny. Like that, 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 that sounds <laughs> to me, me too. like me too. I got dropped in a bin. That's gonna, that's gonna like uh, backfire. Like, um, what you call it? Uh, the Emperor, you know, Punches Pilot in Life of Brian. He called me Biggeth Dicketh, and everybody's just laughing at Seth Green being ju- dumped in a bin. Oi. If I if I ever see Seth Green, I'm gonna dangle him by his ankles over a bin and drop him in it. I guarantee that. If Seth Green, if you ever hear this, you should look out. I'm coming for you. Wow. That's just crazy. It's gone in the bin. Said, I'm going to read out the story. This is a podcast exclusive. (laughs) So this is what Seth Green says, right? Marie saw me sitting on the the arm of this chair and made a big fuss about me being in the seat, Green said. I was was like, "Uh, this is absurd. I am sitting on the arm of this couch. There are several lengths of this sofa. Kindly F off. And he was like, that's my chair. Green's mother suggested to her son that he move for Murray, but he refused. He picked me up by my ankles, Green said, held me (laughs) upside down. He dangled me over a trash can and he was like, the trash goes in the trash can. And I was screaming and I swung my arms, flailed widely, full contact with his balls. What if you hit him in his balls? Uh, yeah. He dropped me in the trash can. The trash can falls over. I was horrified. I ran away, hid under a table in the dressing room, and just cried. There's so many. There's so many things to unpack from this. <laughs> this awful nine-year-old child. First of all, yeah, his mum told him to move, and he was like, "No, I'm not <laughs> moving." <laughs> so Bill Murray put him in the bin, which is hilarious. It's very funny. And the trash goes in. The, the trash goes in the trash can. I mean, come on. There is no, there, what, there's what's, nobody, what's not to love and then there? like, yeah, Seth Green must be a dick because he's saying, and I punched him in the balls. It's like, well, then what do you expect to happen? So anyway, before he was uh, molestering ladies, he was traveling the world trying to get over World War One, and we'll fill you in all about that. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, we'll look at the Razor's Edge eventually. Yeah. When we watch the Razor's Edge, all I'm going to think about is Seth Green going flying into a bin. Oh, I love that so much that he did that. He's my hero all over <laughs> the again. The trash goes in the trash can. Hell yeah. All right. Coin that. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know who I like more. Bill Murray for doing that to Seth Green or Warren Beatty for having sex with everyone in the world. Well, we're going to have to we have to judge that next week. Indeed we can decide we who the winner is. All right. Well, uh, that's enough from us to this evening, I'd say. Uh, I'm surprised we got so much mileage out of the Midnight Club. Fair play to us. Nah, it's great. It's the best thing ever made. All right. Cool. Well, uh, talk to you next week, buddy. Uh, we'll stick, talk to you then. Let's stick to movies in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's enough of the TV. Yeah, yeah, because my kid is fucking cramping my style. <laughs> Fair play. All right, uh, I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.